0: Two of our other pastors are away. Josh, our lead pastor, is at a conference this week down in Texas. And uh, Ryan, our other uh, pastor, is on vacation. So so it's just me this morning. Um, it's interesting if you've ever taught the Bible, whether something formal like this or, or not, something in a, upstairs with the kids or wherever, if you're talking with your neighbor about Christ or uh, in whatever context you're in, sometimes when you get up to teach, it feels like powerful, like sometimes you can almost feel uh God speaking through you and um and then other times it just feels like weakness. I don't know if you've ever experienced that uh so I was here this morning uh, outside of my car, just going over my notes, and I was reading about something that I had written about god's faithfulness, and then at that same time uh the the band was playing up here uh. A song about God's faithfulness, and I was like, man, that is a really nice uh, reminder, so that whether it feels powerful or, or it feels weak, God's faithful to his word, and, um, you know, he's our teacher, so we do what we can to be prepared and everything, but God, uh, God blesses his own word, and so it was a great reminder, and just how all that worked out in my car, which you can hear the music perfectly clear, too, outside, which is nice uh, for the neighbors, but let me pray as we get started um, We look at this parable of Jesus. Lord God, again, we just come to you now, whether in power or weakness. Uh, the Apostle Paul never seemed to mind um, because it's you, it's your word, it's living. Um, somebody said that uh, all books or most books inform, but only your word transforms. And we pray that today in our hearts. Whether we're familiar with this um, story or not, I pray that it would be fresh and that you would teach us uh, about prayer, not just so that we can know about prayer, but so we can do it, so we can live it and rely on you. So we just commit it to you. Please teach us this morning. Amen. So we've been doing this series this summer on the parables, um, which are basically just earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Uh, it's a way of telling a story in a simple way, but communicating deep theological truths. Jesus loved doing that. Uh, there's other places in the Bible where people use parables to try to get their point across. Um, and uh, it's been a favorite of many preachers over the years to preach through the parables. Um, now, as we look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—the story about Jesus' life... And we know that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. When he said that, people at his time wanted to pick up rocks and and kill him, stone him, because they knew that for him to say he was the Son of God meant that he was saying he was God. He was claiming divinity. Uh, And everything that Jesus did in his life, uh, well, his birth, he didn't really do that. He was born. But his sinless life, his miracles, his teaching... Everything that he did, the greatest proof of all is resurrection from the dead. Everything authenticated his claim to be the Son of God. All of it pointed to the fact that he was who he said he was. And in the Old Testament, um, spoke often of one who would come uh, to save people from their sins, to be a king, to usher in a kingdom of justice and peace and righteousness. Um, The Old Testament gives hundreds of descriptions, characteristics of a person uh, that would come and do these things. And every single one of them has found its fulfillment in Jesus. So all these things proved that Jesus was the Son of God, God, as the Bible says, dwelling in flesh, God taking on human flesh and living among us. And as you know, as you read the Gospels, Jesus performed a zillion uh, miracles and exorcisms, things that no one else was doing, uh, clearly. Um, but most of his time, and all those things pointed to his divinity as well, but most of his time wasn't spent doing miracles. He could have probably healed everybody for sure, but he, but he didn't. Most of his time was spent teaching. Uh, and so he often used parables to teach these uh, deep truths of God in a very simple way. So we look at Christ's life through the Gospels. There's some interesting shifts um, in regard to the content of his teaching and and his audience as well, the people that he was really going after. For instance, uh, we're going to be in Luke, but for instance, in the book of Matthew, the first 12 chapters of Matthew is all about the coming kingdom. Jesus is the king on earth from heaven. Uh, He's the fulfillment of the promises. He's the promised one, the Messiah. And he's here presenting himself to the Jewish nation, saying, I I will be your king. I'm the one that was promised to come. Will you accept it? And uh, at the end of chapter 12, and so all the parables and the teachings of Jesus are all about this kingdom. And Jesus is presenting himself as king. If they only would accept it, he would usher in this new kingdom that the Old Testament had talked about centuries before. But at the end of chapter 12 there, uh, we see that the leaders of the Jewish uh, nation reject him. Jesus had just completed a miracle. He had uh, done an exorcism, and they're all baffled. How does he do this? How does he have power over demons? And so the leaders decide, the religious leaders decide, he must get that power from Satan. And so instead of attributing Christ's miracles and his power to God, they say that he's of Satan and they reject him. Later on in his life, we see that the nation as a whole, just the regular people like us, they rejected him as well before Pilate, and they said, crucify him, crucify him. So at 12, Matthew 12, there's a real shift where Jesus had been presenting himself as king to establish this kingdom that God had promised, and but because the leaders rejected him, because the people ended up rejecting him, uh, the kingdom, kingdom gets postponed, not withdrawn completely, but delayed. And so what happens in 12 in Matthew 12 to the end, Jesus uh, is not so much interested in going to the masses of people. He now turns his attention mostly to the disciples to really teach and instruct them about this interim period of time that they were not expecting. They were expecting the kingdom of God to come. They knew Jesus was the king. He was going to do it. And then all of a sudden, they put the brakes on, and they weren't expecting that. So Jesus begins to direct his attention towards the disciples about this interim period of time uh, that the Old Testament hints at, but they they didn't see it coming. And he wanted to teach them how they should live and what they should expect, and to give them signs of um, of his second coming to earth. Now, Earlier on, in Matthew 6, Jesus had instructed them how to pray. Remember, they said, Jesus, how should we pray? So he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, if you've been to a Catholic church like I have, you know this by heart. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will, by, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So they've been praying this, and then they find out that this kingdom that they've been praying for, that Jesus taught them to pray for, that they've been, been anticipating for generations, is now not going to come. It's been delayed. And what we find is that as we turn to the book of Luke, uh, the end of Luke chapter 17, Jesus talks about the very end of this delayed period of time and what things will be like on earth. Uh, really bad. In chapter 18, uh, he's talking to the same uh, people, his own, Uh, the same, uh, his disciples, the same audience, and he's really instructing them, because the kingdom of God was delayed, how should they live? Should they continue to pray for the kingdom? Uh, You know, what does God expect from them? Uh, And we find this parable uh, occurs in this uh, period of time where after Jesus has already been rejected by the, the leaders, so he's already turned his attention to his disciples to really teach them uh, what God expects of them during this uh, period of time in between, which we happen to call the church age, which is what we're a part of now. So, as I think about for ourselves, what are we to do for that matter when uh, answers to prayers seem delayed? Um, not quick? Sometimes I, I think, Lord... I can't handle much more of this. And then it just time just keeps going on and on. I think, boy, how much longer can I keep not handling much more of this? And God knows all the timing with that, but I, I still have these questions. So what do we do when prayer is unanswered for so long that we even are tempted to give up altogether on it? Uh, Jesus addresses these um, issues in Luke chapter 18 in this parable. And he really teaches that, even though they they didn't get what they wanted, this kingdom that they were so excited for. It's postponed, and Jesus began to teach them that they wouldn't even see it in their day. And still it's been two, like close to 2,000 years. And the Jews are still waiting for it, and we're still waiting for it. But Jesus says they're to per- persist in prayer because God hears their prayer, and he will grant their request. So if you're not already there, uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 18. going to be in verses 1 to 8. It's page 570 in the white and blue um, pew Bibles. If you have a black one, you're on your own. Uh, I didn't look that up. But um, Jesus lays out his point very clear in the first verse of this parable. Luke 18, 1. And it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, And not lose heart. So sometimes Jesus gives a parable and he doesn't explain it. And it's kind of can be confusing. What does he mean by that? It puzzles people, but it's nice when Jesus gives the explanation for it, as he does elsewhere. The point of this is to pray and to not lose heart. It's really a general principle for all of us, whether the disciples or whether we're disciples now, I mean, disciples back then or today that we would always pray and not lose heart. Uh, elsewhere, the Bible talks about praying without ceasing. Um, so not in the sense of that you pray and you just never stop for your whole life, but that at all times, in all situations, that you make your requests known to God. That we would never stop, uh, that we'd always be in an attitude of prayer, uh, regularly going to the Father with our requests. So we're always to pray at all times, whatever the circumstances are, in any difficulty, no matter how um, overwhelming life may be or seem at the time. Uh, even if an answer is slow in coming, or maybe been praying for years and hasn't come yet. And Jesus teaches that. We're to continue to pray, even when praying can weary us because we're not getting the answer that we hope to get. Uh, I don't know if you've felt that way before, but uh, praying can be hard work, even though it's just talking to God. It's, just, it's spiritual work, and uh, to pray long and hard um, can weary uh, a person. Jesus is saying, don't be, don't lose heart, always pray. So it's interesting, I find it interesting that Jesus says to always pray and to not lose heart. Him saying that kind of indicates to me that we tend to lose heart when we pray, when prayers are unanswered. Uh, I know that's my experience. I find myself, as I was thinking back, um, I find myself generally pretty eager to pray, especially for things that are super important. And I can I can look back and say, oh, I prayed for that for a long time, like a couple months or whatever, pretty regularly. And then after a while, it just kind of fizzles out, uh, but probably for a lot of reasons. But I find myself um, giving up on prayer sometimes for certain things or certain people or events or things like that. Uh, so I can see where I've grown weary, um, maybe not completely, but in terms of consistent, expectant, like hopeful prayer. That prayer that you have in the beginning when you're praying for something, very important. And you're expecting God to answer it. And after a while, I find myself uh, losing some of that expectation. And I, I grow weary. So the disciples might grow weary, uh, praying for the coming of the Lord. He had told them to pray for that in Matthew 6, and now he's saying it's not, not even going to come. You guys aren't going to see it. It'll come, but not in your generation. But he still wants them to pray, even during this long period, even when it seems that because of the delay in this kingdom, uh, maybe they would start to think, boy, is it even going to come at all? Uh, and I wonder today, um, even for people, so it's been 2,000 years, and as Christians are waiting for Christ's second coming, his second coming is, marks the inauguration of This kingdom of God on earth that was promised to the Jews. So we're expecting and anticipating the second coming that we read about in the Bible. Uh, It's been 2,000 years. Uh, Some may wonder, is he even going to return at all? Uh, You may have seen, I suspect you've seen, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or or read the books. I have one fan back there. Um, But... In the land of Narnia, there had been terrible darkness and cold for a very long time. Remember, they stepped through the wardrobe, and it's all snowy. kind of looks like Massachusetts in the winter. Um, But when the creatures of Narnia get word that Aslan is coming, uh, some believe it, some are excited, and they're spreading the word, Aslan's coming, Aslan's coming. And others, they don't buy it. Uh, He's been gone for so long that many of the creatures doubted Whether he would return at all, Uh, and when we lose heart and become weary in prayer because of delayed answers or unanswers, unanswered prayer, what often follows is a lack of prayer. Uh, When the thing prayed for is not on the horizon, just prone to give up altogether. So we may question whether God's interested in us. Is He hearing us? Is He good? He's made promises. To answer prayer, is he going to fulfill those promises? You begin to question the character of God when uh, we don't get what we want. So Jesus tells him this parable, verses 2 and 3. He says, uh, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So we know from historical documents that in every town in ancient Israel, there were two magistrates, and these were uh, people that were uh, paid to watch over crime and make sure everybody obeyed the rules. Um, They also had other judges that were part-time, and they worked uh, part-time hours, and they were uh, volunteer. They didn't get paid. But these two magistrates in particular got paid, and they got paid really well, uh, and worked full-time but even though they were paid really well, they were corrupt. Many of them were very corrupt. And in order to get a case presented before them, you would had to bribe them. Even though they were taking this huge salary, uh, they worked off of bribes. Interesting that uh, the Jews had a joke for them. that Their title was prohibition judges or punishment judges, depending. And the word is gezerot. Uh, but the Jews called them the gezelot judges, uh, which meant robbers. Robber judges. So it changed the letter. But they had a reputation for uh, ignorance, being arbitrary, uh, not doing um, doing the right thing for the right reason, not interested in justice. Uh, Somebody wrote that for a dish of meat, they would pervert justice for a meal. Um, So these are the kind of things that characterized these judges, this type of judge, um, dishonest. Um under Old Testament law, uh God set up judges that were to fear him and to defend the oppressed. So it's very important, clearly, if you're going to be in a, a judge in a position like that, deciding on cases that you're just. You might not get everything right, but you have to uh desire to do the right thing to give justice to people. Um there's hardly anything more infuriating than uh, a corrupt judge. A couple of months ago in May, an article came out. um, It titled this, Judge Locked Up for 28 Years for Selling Kids to the Prison System. This happened in Pennsylvania. Crazy story. Here's a little bit of the article. Since 2003, uh, Judge Cia Varela received millions of dollars in bribes for condemning minors to maximum prison sentences. Uh, according to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, over 5,000 young men and women were unjustly sentenced to prison and denied their constitutional rights, including the right to legal counsel. The judge had a complete disregard for the law that he was in the position to uphold. Uh, I mean what an outrage I can't even think of words uh, to capture the emotion that the parents and and the children that were uh, unjustly condemned over those uh was an eight year period of time. the judge in Jesus' story did not fear God he didn't believe that one day he'd be held accountable for the decisions he made uh, so his decisions the way he treated people, the cases that he decided on, they all reflected his theology. They all reflected what he understood to be true about God. Uh, A word about theology here, we all have one. Uh, I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but we all have a set of ideas, uh, things we believe to be true or untrue about who God is, about what he's like, about what he wants, about what he doesn't want. This is our theology. Whether we're a Christian, a Buddhist, or an atheist, everybody has an idea about who God is. Uh, everybody lives out of their theology, their understanding of who God is, whether, it's, whether you get your idea of God from uh, your own thinking, rationalism, uh, secularism, or if you get it from uh, an outside source like the Bible. We all have an idea about God, and our idea about God Uh, dictates how we live our lives. Um, So that if we have good theology, uh, should produce good living. Bad theology, uh, bad living. Those who reject God as creator uh, don't see him as a judge, as someone that we'll have to um, be accountable to. And so if there's no one to stand accountable to, just live however you want to, uh, knowing that uh, nothing will ever come back to you. Um, Ecclesiastes says this, If there's no God, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But because there is a God, Ecclesiastes ends this way, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the judge in Jesus' parable had rejected God, and because there was no fear of God before his eyes, he made his decisions based solely on his own inclinations and ideas. Uh, he wasn't concerned about standing before God someday and giving account for his decisions. He wasn't trying to do the right thing, even though he should have been. Uh, he didn't make decisions out of respect for God or out of what others might conclude about him. Sometimes people will do uh, you know, the right thing when people are watching. Uh, for reputation, but, but this guy, he didn't even care about that. Uh, he was only going to make decisions based on his own uh, desires, unjust desires at the time. And it was a judge like this that the widow went to. She went repeatedly in order to request that he would right a wrong that had been done to her. So she's not asking for anything special, not any favor. She's just asking for him to do the right thing. Um, but he continued to refuse because he didn't care for her and he didn't care for the right thing. So the two seemed to be at a stalemate, except that she kept coming. In the Old Testament, the widow almost became a symbol of helplessness. Um, Perhaps today it's maybe the homeless in our society, but the widow, she had no means of support. Uh, She couldn't work. She'd have to care for children, and she often fell into poverty. Because she was at the bottom of the food chain, right? People at the bottom of the food chain are often taken advantage of, abused, oppressed, mistreated, and she would have found herself there. And in a court system that was based on bribery, she couldn't afford. She couldn't bribe the judge. Uh, She couldn't. She had no worldly influence um, before him, but she did have her own persistence. And it says in verse 4 and 5, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So she uses the one thing that she has, her persistence. Uh, Her own persistence eventually wore this wicked judge down. Uh, The expression to wear down, um, I used a couple versions, so I'll make sure. Oh, beat me down. Yeah, the expression to beat down, uh, literally in the Greek, it means to give me a black eye. So uh, clearly an an expression, she wasn't literally going to run up there and and sock him, but um, uh, he was getting wearied of getting beaten down, that this woman by her persistence would Give him a black eye. And in the end, the judge did what she asked. Again, not because he wanted to do the right thing. He could care less about that. He wasn't trying to appease people. It was just a widow. Nobody cared about her anyway. Um wasn't for justice. It uh, wasn't because he feared God. He didn't fear God at all. Uh, the only reason he gave in to her was to get rid of her. He, he did the right thing for the wrong reasons, but he did do the right thing. And uh, the persistent widow wearied the wicked judge. Jesus says in verse 6, that's the end of the parable, and he turns his attention now to his disciples, and he says, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Uh, So many times in the Gospels, uh, Jesus will be teaching, and he'll say something uh, similar to this, to really try to drive home the message that he's communicating. He'll say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Clearly those who were there listening were hearing, but not everybody is always hearing. Not everybody's always listening. Sometimes he would give that extra, Do you hear what the unrighteous judge says? I remember a couple years ago, I was doing a Bible study in a program for troubled youth, actually with Annie's dad. And uh, we went in, and uh, we're sharing the gospel with two kids. One kid was super distracting, and I didn't think we were going to get anywhere because he was talking like crazy. You could tell he didn't want to be there. Probably just didn't want to be in his room. Uh, Sometimes, you know, Bible study is better than being in your room. Um, The other kid, though, we were talking through Jesus' words, looking at the gospel. We came across this phrase that Jesus says, He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. And um, Dave and I began to uh, uh, work with this kid and help him to understand the gospel and say, do you hear what Jesus is saying? Now this other kid next to him is talking constantly, um, and I don't think we're going to get anywhere. Finally, the other boy says, be quiet. I want to hear what Jesus said. (laughs) And um, he ended up coming to faith that night. But Jesus is... Uh, narrowing his focus now on the disciples. Do you hear what the unrighteous judge says? Don't this, it's a story, an earthly story, right? We all understand this, but do you get the spiritual implications? And he says in verse 7 and 8, he explains the parable. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So that if an unjust, unresponsive, unrighteous judge could be moved to act by a persistent widow on the bottom of the food chain, certainly God who is just, who is responsive, who is righteous, who is loving, who has called us, who loves to answer prayer, certainly this God will respond to the persistent prayer of his own children. So if a wicked man will sometimes do good for the, from the wrong motives, How much more will God do the right thing for the right reason and vindicate his own people? Jesus says that the elect cry out to God day and night. They pray with unwearied persistence. Sometimes I find myself becoming wearied uh, in prayer over things. They realize, though, that their need is great. They recognize that there's no other solution than to present their request to God. They know that God is the only one that can act on their behalf, that he's their one hope for justice, for righteousness. And while waiting for answers to prayer may lead us to grow weary, grow tired, to question all these things. Where is God? And sometimes it feels like the prayers don't even get through the ceiling. Um, We may be tempted to give up. Jesus is teaching that God will, in fact, answer, that he hears, and that when he does answer, his justice will be swift. When he does come, when Jesus returns to the earth, the second coming, his justice is going to be swift. And vindication, Jesus promises, is assured. Now this last half of verse 8 uh, This one question drew me to this parable as I was reading through parables last week trying to decide which one to do. Uh, I didn't read through all of them, but I'm not sure. But The ones that I read, I I couldn't remember any others that ended with a question. It was intriguing. And Jesus says in verse 8, after he's talked about prayer, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So we know Jesus was there with them we know looking back, they didn't know then, but he was going to die and be resurrected and uh, ascend to heaven. The Bible talks about Jesus returning to earth to set up this kingdom that God has promised uh, in the Old Testament and in the New. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on earth? And the question assumes a negative answer. It assumes that no. Uh, by and large, people will not have faith. Uh, faith will not be prevalent on earth. Uh, Paul writes, the Apostle Paul, in uh, 2 Timothy, about the days leading up to this time when Jesus returns to earth. And this is how he describes that generation. He says to Timothy, who was a young pastor, he says, Timothy, but understand this: that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine; they won't, uh, they will not accept this book. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They'll turn their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So that when there is no fear of God. Uh, in people's hearts, and when there's no knowledge of God in the land. um, Another way to say it maybe is when people's theology is bad or when they misunderstand who God is or have an inaccurate view of who God is, what he's like, what he wants, all these things. When there's no fear of God, then sin is rampant. Uh, Paul goes on uh, to describe the generation again to Timothy. Timothy. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving that which is good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of Of God. These would characterize the generation before Jesus returns. Sounds a lot like our generation, doesn't it? Uh, But in spite of the Lord's prediction of increasing moral decay and decreasing faith on the earth, a remnant on earth would uh, remain steadfast as they awaited Christ's second coming. So in the midst of, widespread, of the widespread rejection of Christianity um, by the world and even the delayed fulfillment of this kingdom that God had promised, Jesus teaches in this parable that his people must keep on praying. They must continue to pray for the kingdom. And as Christians, yeah, continue to pray. Pray that the Lord would return soon. Uh, Revelation talks about that. Uh, at the end there, come Lord Jesus, come soon. Please come back and set up this kingdom that the Bible talks about where it's justice and righteousness and goodness and love. Come and be that king on earth. Keep on praying. Why? Because your prayers will be heeded. God is faithful to act on behalf of his people and to vindicate his people. Uh, he can do that now, and he does, but especially on that final day when Jesus returns, uh, when he has set everything right. So, that in any circumstance, any situation, no matter how bleak it may seem, we should always pray and not give up. Many of you probably know the name Josh McDowell. He's an author, he's um, probably in his 60s now. Um, but uh, highly sought-after Bible teacher, uh, an apologist, so he's somebody that knows the Bible inside and out, and will do, uh, do speaking and to defend the faith. Um, when he was in college, uh, he was, you know, he was like the president of his class and partier, and you know, all this stuff. At one point, he set out to disprove Christianity, so he began to study it. He was going to disprove the whole thing once and for all as if no one had ever tried to do that before. Um, what he found was that the more he studied, the more he became convinced of uh, the truths of the Bible and of Christ's resurrection. Uh, kind of had a conversion like Saul, when the Apostle Paul, except without all the violence. Um, but Josh McDowell is uh, highly sought after and he's written a ton of books, and um, I'd encourage reading some, reading some of them. Um, A few years ago, he was asked to be a commencement speaker, which I'm sure he is every year, someplace, and uh, he went to a particular seminary. Uh, It was with great anticipation as Josh took the stage. You know, what's this guy going to say? This is one for the record books, Um, big name uh, at our school. And he really wanted to impart them some words as they ventured out, new seminary graduates, into ministry, whatever that looked like for them all over the world. And he opened his uh, talk with three words, pray, pray, pray. And then he sat down. His message lasted five seconds. But how long do you think his words will resonate in their hearts? Someone said once that unless God's people... Pray, God will not act. I don't know if that's true. I like the way it sounds. I don't know if it's true, but I do know that God places a much greater emphasis on prayer than we do. Jesus wants His disciples to pray always and not lose heart. So as we think about some practical implications, uh, I can't say it any better than the way Jesus said it. But three things. Uh, first, pray. Uh, pray when you're alone. Pray with others. Families, pray together. Husbands, lead your families. Pull your wife aside. Pray. Pray with your kids. Uh, encourage your kids to pray. Uh, pray for your neighbors. Pray with your neighbors. Pray for the salvation of your neighbors. Pray for uh, your own growth as a Christian. Pray The first thing is to pray. Uh, The second thing is to pray always. Uh, Pray in all circumstances, in all situations. Make your requests known to God. Pray at all times. Uh, The ancient Jews I was reading, they would pray no more than three times a day. Uh, It's nowhere in the Bible, but they thought if they prayed more than three times a day that they would weary God as if God could be wearied. Um, by prayer. The opposite is true. First of all, God can't be wearied by anything. Um, And he wants us to pray. He wants us to take a posture of the heart that um, is submissive to him and totally reliant on him. Uh, He's delighted when our faith is resting fully on him. So, second, pray always. And the third is to pray always and never give up. So when your prayers go unanswered, find yourself, as I do, uh, ready to throw in the towel in certain requests. Don't. Keep on praying. And when circumstances in life threaten to uh, seemingly overtake you, Emotionally, spiritually, physically, all these things. Uh, you know, God doesn't promise to heal um, every sickness that we have. I wish that he did. Uh, we have to wait for the kingdom to come for that to happen. Um, but, uh, but pray for those things. Don't give up. Pray for people that are sick and that are hurting. Even though know, God doesn't promise that he'll answer and cure every sickness. Pray for the sick, the Bible says. Um, pray for situations at work. But mostly pray for things that God uh, has revealed that He wants for you, for us. Uh, things to be holy, to be coming more Christ like, that's more like Christ, uh, more loving towards people. Pray for the things that God wants from you. I guarantee God will answer those prayers. So pray. This message is very simple. Pray, pray always, pray always and never give up. So let's pray. Father, as we looked at prayer this morning, I mean, I confess, I I know, my own heart, sometimes in prayer. uh, Sometimes it's easier for us, God, I think, to to go out and do things almost like a checklist. Some of us are really good at a to-do list and we feel good about getting things done. Um, and certainly in, we need to do things, but sometimes I I think, uh, you know, uh, it comes at the expense of prayer. Um, I pray that, God, you would help us to pray more. That you would... Uh, Give us insight into uh, how you see prayer and our need for you through prayer. And uh, I pray that we would be changed, that you would help us to implement uh, praying and without losing heart. Give us strength, as this song said, when I fall, fall on you. And uh, help us to trust that you're faithful to bring about uh, the things that You have promised to do. We pray it in Christ's uh, name. Amen.